Hey, underwater breathers. On July 22nd, I'm going to be hosting a free live webinar where we're going to do a little bit of teaching, but mostly live dream interpretation. So for those of you who've been journeying and who have dreams that you're dying to know what they mean, this is your moment. Sign up, show up with a dream, and let's see what God wants to say to you. I will put the rest of the details and the link to sign up in the show notes. I really hope to see you there. We were designed to hunger for the deep things of God, to thrive on faith and wonder, to seek out divine wisdom that defies human logic. We were designed to unlock the mysteries of God. This is Breathing Underwater. again. We are here today with episode number 18, season two. The number 18 means life more abundantly. It is the number of life. If you are seeing the number 18, bet your bottom dollar, God is talking to you about more abundant life. And if we know the scripture where Jesus says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What he says is that I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. I think this goes along with kind of the train that we've been on as far as prophetic meanings of the numbers. Man, it's all been about deliverance and rest and victory. And this is life. Just love it. Today, we're going to follow up on what we were talking about last week, which was the promises of God, why God gives us promises, how we discern them in our dreams. Go back and listen to that one if you didn't. And today I wanted to continue that conversation speaking to really leading into disappointment over dreams. Because if any of us have been carrying promises of God for a period of time, it is very likely that we have seen disappointment. Waiting is not easy. It is hard. And oftentimes, carrying a promise of God means we're waiting for a period. I know in my own story, but I'm sure for many of you as well, in those times of waiting, in those times of disappointment, it creates so much space for the question of, did I really hear that right? Did I misunderstand that? Is that really what God is going to do? Did he somehow just forget me? This is one of the things that we have to really be ruthless about in our journey with God, in our faith journey, is paying attention to the character of God that is being communicated, even to ourselves in our own mind. Because those kinds of thoughts, they actually accuse God of being a liar, right? Like, I, and hear me, I have totally heard those things in my own mind. I have thought those things in my heart. Shame has come to tell me that somehow... I'm just different than the rest of scripture and the world where I've seen God fulfill promises. I just must be outside of that blessing. It just might not be for me. Maybe God is a promise giver and he always comes through on his promises, just, just not for me. There must be something innately wrong with me that this promise hasn't come through for me yet, or I just misunderstood. It's really, really easy to come up with reasons that seem very logical for why something hasn't happened yet. But man, all of those reasons just there were completely agreeing with the accuser. They were partnering with shame. They were partnering with self-doubt. They were partnering with character about God that is absolutely untrue. That he provides promises, I'm sorry, fulfills promises for some and not for others. 
This is absolutely untrue. So we have to be ruthless about recognizing the message that's playing inside of us. That can even be a part of the pain of disappointment. It might be a deeper level of the pain. It's because there's shame in there. And what I have found is, man, it's not always logical why something hasn't come to pass yet or something didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go or we pictured in our mind it was going to go or that we believe God said it was going to go. There is a lot of mystery in this. And yet I found that God is always telling me, Come, come to him, come to him and ask him, ask him to understand more. I came across something years ago that has really, that really shocked me, but has really informed me and given me new perspective, more perspective and reframed some of the waiting for me. And I want to talk about that today. Today, I'm going to talk about when a promise tests you, when God actually lets it test us. You know, scripture says specifically in, in James and in First Peter that the refining of our faith is something that God brings us through, that our faith to him is more precious than gold, refined in the, in the furnace. And this phrase comes after when we experience trials of many kinds, count it all joy because our faith is of such value to God. He doesn't keep us from testing. He doesn't keep us from being refined. This could be a little offensive to our mind, but this is very true. And often he'll use promises and that time in between it being given and fulfilled to test what is in us. So go with me to Genesis 37. We are going to talk a little about the story of Joseph, which if you know me at all, this is definitely a, a powerful and important story to me. And I love the story of Joseph for many reasons, but today I'm using it to specifically illustrate this point. This really spoke to me when God showed me this. So here's what we know about Joseph. He was the son of Jacob. He was the favored son of Jacob. He was the famous guy that got the coat of many colors, right? Because his father loved him and favored him, and he was clearly the one that was going to receive all the love and all the blessing. And his other brothers already did not like him because of this. They were already super jealous because of the favor and the love that he had from his father. And then he gets the coat of many colors and it's like, give me an actual break. Too much, Joseph. <laughs> but here in, in Genesis 37, Joseph has two very prophetic promise dreams. And Joseph goes to his brothers and his father and mother and tells them the dreams. And one of the dreams, he sees that they're out gathering sheaves and that his sheaf rises up, rises up, and the other sheaves bow down to him. And immediately, the brothers are like, what do you mean? We're not going to bow down to you. How interesting that they had this immediate interpretation for the dream, by the way. And then he has another dream that's really similar, but it's about the stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to him, which he shares with them. And his father, Jacob, immediately responds as if he has the interpretation, which I just want to highlight this for a moment, because last week we talked about Abram, who was, of course, Abraham. And God actually gave Abram a dream. He put him into a deep sleep where he confirmed the covenant that he was making with him about his descendants occupying the land. So, of course, God fulfills the promise to Abraham about having a son of his own, which is Isaac. Isaac ends up having Jacob and Esau, Jacob ends up having a dream, a dream about God promising him land. And now Jacob has sons and here's Joseph dreaming. Look at the generational legacy here of dreams, right? 
And this just shows as well that they had a value for this and they understood that God speaks through them because they all had immediate recognition that this was some sort of prophetic meaning in these dreams. So Joseph shares these dreams right off the bat and it does not go well. Everyone gets offended. We're not going to bow down to you. No, thank you. Just a little side note. If you've listened to the episode where we interviewed Gary, he says something so wise, which I believe wholeheartedly, just talking about how we need to be really honoring with the revelation that God gives us, that it's more important that we're releasing wine than water. And revelation takes time to age because there's a timing for specific revelation and understanding that God gives us. There's a timing on the interpretation of our dreams, but all kinds of other things that God speaks to us is for us to actually hold and cherish and keep until it's time to release it. And here we have a picture of Joseph (laughs) right away sharing this revelation, which was too early. I actually wonder if this story would have gone differently if he would have held this, but we will never know. So he shares the dream with them. They're now, they've had it. And they start plotting, his brothers start plotting to get rid of him. They end up selling him into slavery in Egypt. He gets taken away from the family, sold as a slave, ends up in the house of Potiphar, who was a big guy in Pharaoh's court, and ends up having a ton of favor there because the kindness of God is giving him favor. But he's still a slave and a servant, remember. Then he has this whole ordeal with Potiphar's wife. She tries to seduce him. He is pure and honest and runs from her, but she falsely accuses him, and he is immediately put in prison. And he's in prison for a while, years, until finally two others from Pharaoh's court end up going to prison, the baker and the cupbearer. They both, while they're in prison, have dreams the same night, and they're saying, we've had dreams, but there's no one to interpret this for us. But of course, Joseph is there. And he says, does not interpretation belong to the Lord? Tell me your dreams. And then he gives them interpretation for both of their dreams. One's a really positive interpretation. One's really negative. But both of them are completely accurate and both come to pass. When the one came to pass where the cupbearer was reinstated back into Pharaoh's court, Joseph even says to him, hey, remember me. Like, I want to get out of here. Will you give... Pharaoh a good word like I'm in prison I'm a good dude but of course the cupbearer doesn't he forgets he doesn't say anything and so Joseph remains in prison another two years until Pharaoh has a dream himself and in this dream he is looking for someone to interpret and none of his quote-unquote wise men can do it and he is not happy about it and that's when the cupbearer remembers Joseph in prison So Pharaoh calls Joseph and asks for the interpretation of the dream, which Joseph gives him. But not only does he give him the interpretation of the dream, he also gives him sound wisdom on how to actually navigate the famine that's coming that was predicted in his dream. And because of this, Pharaoh sees that he not only is wiser than all the other diviners that he was working with, but that he also had the wisdom to actually rule with him. And in an instant, overnight, Joseph went from being in shackles to being the second in command over everything that was Pharaoh's in Egypt. And of course, as things play out, we see that his 
brothers actually come into the nation and recognize him. And well, actually, before they recognize him, they end up bowing at his feet. He ends up having the upper hand. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. Man, it's such a good story. But here's the fulfillment of those dreams, of the bowing sheaves and the bowing stars. Here it is. It finally happened. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us much about the goings-on of Joseph's inner world, right? We just know what happened to him. But I don't think I have to take much liberty to assume that he was experiencing some radical disappointment and confusion over his promises. Here he gets these two very clear, and two, by the way, especially if it's repeating, this is emphasis. This is emphasis, and this is showing that God has actually sealed the matter. He has these two prophetic promises when he's younger that almost immediately catalyze him into a life that looks completely the opposite completely the opposite. He is enslaved. He doesn't have a voice. He doesn't have a say in anything that he does. He has no authority. He doesn't have anybody bowing down to him. He is bowing down to everyone, right? And then from slavery, he gets falsely accused. He's experiencing so much injustice. He's in prison. There's an opportunity for a door to open for him to be released. He he's like, oh, remember me. Maybe it'll maybe it'll work. And it doesn't. He remains in prison two more years. Can you imagine? Even after that moment, I would say, well, maybe I should just speak for myself. But most of us would probably be like, what in the heck is going on here? And two more years until this moment. In an instant, everything changed, and it leads to this fulfillment. There's a timing on this thing. Here's the clincher. Turn with me to Psalm 105. I'm going to be reading specifically, let's see, I'll start in verse 8. But this is speaking, especially in the second half, about Joseph. I'm going to start in 18. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And the king sent and released him and the ruler of the people set him free and he made him lord over his house and ruler of all his possessions. Until the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. What's this talking about? Until the word came to pass. What's the word that needed to come to pass? The word was the promise from those two dreams, that word. What tested him? Satan? No. His peers? No. The word of the Lord tested him. See, during this time, between the being given the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, the Lord allowed Joseph to be refined and utterly tested, testing what's inside of him in preparation for what God was actually going to do. Joseph had no idea he was going to be put second in command over Egypt and all of that land. That's insane. That not only was he going to be put in that kind of position, but he was going to have authority to actually give resources and keep resources. And during a time of famine, he actually saved this nation. 
because he had the interpretation for this dream and then the strategy, the God-given strategy, that so they would actually survive it. This is crazy. He would have been, I'm sure, you know, 10 years before that, I'm sure he would have been super happy to just have had some some small role as manager in some in some way where his brothers are like, we bow down to you. We do what you say. You know, I'm sure he was thinking real small. But this is what God had in mind. And could Joseph have actually ruled in that way, in that space, all those years before? What refining did his character go through? In all of that suffering, the favor of the Lord was with him. God never left him. And we look at that and, and it looks like a punishment. But it was actually the kindness of God testing what is inside of him to forge his character in the fire so that he could step into that role and not be crushed, that he'd be seen for that role at all. And that, man, he's someone we're still talking about today. He saved the nation. How many of us have these promises from God and we are like, and I say this myself, I don't need it to be big and crazy. Like, can we just have this happen now? Because I would really like to stop being uncomfortable, <laughs> right? I mean, really, that's what it's about. I'm uncomfortable. I'm tired of having these desires. I'm tired of feeling like I'm lacking in this area. I don't want to feel ashamed when I compare myself to other people anymore, whatever the reason. I don't want to feel this yearning, this tension these questions about why this thing hasn't happened in my life yet. Can we just do this now, please? And God is like, I have such bigger plans for you, my child. <laughs> if you only knew where I want to actually take you. And so my point is this. If you have a promise from God that you have not seen come to pass yet, and you are at your wits end waiting for this thing, take heart. Know that his promise is what's testing you. You haven't got it wrong. You haven't been disobedient. God hasn't forgotten you. <laughs> he doesn't love that other person more than you. He doesn't want you to suffer for no reason. Your life isn't meant to just be one of lack. No, no, no. Those are not the promises that we have from Jesus. That is not what Jesus has paid for. And yet... There's this whole other deeper layer of wisdom and relationship with God that is so often misinterpreted or neglected entirely where God trusts us enough to go through the hard things, to come out the other side refined, stronger, closer to him, healed, delivered, and placed exactly where he wants to place us with exactly the people he wants to place us with. When Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him, they said, we will be your slaves. You know what he says to them? He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look at his humility here and how God turned it all around. And I really just wanted to bring this up today because it feels like a really important part of us learning God's voice and our dreams, especially over promises, is also having the grit, also having the courage, and the correct perspective of, hey, this is, walking with the Lord is not for the faint of heart, but this is our greatest honor to yield everything to him and to let him show us who he really is and the fulfillment of our promises far greater than what we could have imagined. 
abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. I know I said in in the past episode, we were talking about the different reasons God gives us dreams because he knows who we are and he knows where we're going, right? He's just a promiser. He's a giver. He's a father. He loves to promise us things. He loves to show us where we're going. And we can, it's actually imperative that we know what our promises are so that we can have a light in the dark seasons, so that we can wield that promise as a sword when the enemy comes to accuse us or the circumstances look completely backwards like they did for Joseph. It's important that we have those for those reasons. But the most important piece is to know God gives us promises because his intention is to fulfill them. His intention every time is to fulfill them. So let's not let our enemy, the accuser of God, come in and lie to us about who God is. Let's have proper perspective and let's see these things through to the end, shall we? I read something earlier this year in my devotional that when I read it was equally comforting, validating, and irritating, (laughs) if I'm going to be honest. It was a really hard thing to read, but a really true thing to read. And I really wanted to share it with you today because it's in line with what God is teaching us about being tested. If you're familiar with Streams in the Desert, it's a very famous devotional, and this is from January 4th. If you have it, you can read this right at the end of the entry. The writer says, you will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. God gives us promises in a quiet hour, seals our covenants with great and gracious words, and then steps back, waiting to see how much we believe. He then allows the tempter to come, and the ensuing test seems to contradict all that he has spoken. But this is when faith wins its crown. This is the time to look up through the storm and among the trembling, frightened sailors declare, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. This is the kind of faith that God is after from us. Because faith is trust. (laughs) Our faith is so precious to him because our faith is our trust in him. Have you ever been in a relationship that was strong when the other person was, was never trusting you? Or was accusing you of being untrustworthy? That's no relationship at all. God is after our trust. He is after our faith. This is the kind of faith he's after. This is the kind of faith that pleases him. And he loves to refine us to the point where the dross comes to the surface in hot, hot temperatures. If you put metals in there, precious metals, what is impure is going to come to the surface. Because he is about our faith being pure, our trust being pure. And in these times of waiting, in these times of discomfort or even radical experiences of injustice and betrayal, which I myself have experienced, and I'm sure many of you had, even in the midst of that, he's using that to draw to the surface the impurities that are inside of us, the doubt, the questions, the accusations against who he is, the lack of trust in him, the lack of faith, whatever it might be. He's allowing that to come to the surface so that it can be skimmed off and that we would be made pure and strong. 
Take heart, my friends. God's promises are true and they never fail. They will never return to him without accomplishing exactly what he has spoken. And that is the truth. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what people have told us. It doesn't matter what we've experienced in the past. It may be fact, but it is not truth. So let's go forward bravely. Let's go back to those dreams and say, show me the promises, God. Show me which ones are promises. Show me the symbols in here that I need to just whittle down to know exactly what you're saying. I am going to hear you. I'm going to trust you. I am going to steward this promise. I am going to ask you, what is my part in this? How do you want me to partner in this? We are going to see this thing to fruition. Again, as we close, I just want to remind you, you're not in this alone. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to email me. If you want to book a time of actually interpretation with me where we can go through dreams and suss out what God is saying together, I am here as a resource for you. And don't forget about the free webinar that's going to be happening on the 22nd. It's going to be so much fun. All right. I'm proud of you guys. Let's journey forward. Next week, we have a live interpretation. It's going to be awesome. I will see you again then. Until then, happy dreaming. Thank you.